You're listening to Chewing the Fat On Demand. If you've listened to me, whether it's on uh, my old radio shows or this podcast, Chewing the Fat, you know that I have always argued to be Postmaster General. I I would love the Postmaster General badge if they get one. I would love the Postmaster General uh, jacket if they get one. <laughs> I mean, I want to the Postmaster Postmaster General's here. I mean, how cool is that? I mean, you go to meet people. The Postmaster General's here to see you, sir. Uh, I mean, you immediately command respect as Postmaster General. And, uh, and, and I believe that I could uh, help the Postal Service uh, do a lot better. Uh, a whole lot better. Now, the office of the Postmaster General is the executive head of the United States Postal Service. The office of Postmaster General was created in 1789. Now, it was not until the administration of Andrew Jackson that the Postmaster General was invited to sit on the president's cabinet. So from 1872 to 1971, he was the head of the Post Office Department, which was an agency of the U.S. government in charge of the Postal Service. After July 1971, the Postmaster General has been appointed by and serves under the governor of the United States Postal Service, which is a quasi-governmental agency that replaced the U.S. Post Office that same year. Okay, so wait. That still means that Postmaster General is good, right? I mean, look. We all have seen the stories about the Postal Service uh, taking, uh, you know, bribes and so that they could deliver cocaine and taking bribes and stealing mail and stealing mail that had pot in it and postal workers that don't deliver all the mail. And they found, you know, once in a while they find a postal worker that kept old mail that uh, he or she never delivered in the basement uh, of their home. Uh, at one point, I think I remember a story where a postal worker was throwing mail out along the highway every so often so that uh, they didn't have to deliver it and it would just be blowing along the sideway, uh, highway as trash. There are, there are a few problems, and there's a lot of other problems as well. One of the problems, uh, I should have taken a picture. I'm so mad at myself for not taking a picture. I came home the other day, and I made the turn into our neighborhood, and there is a mail truck, which is an old jeep you know looks like it was in vietnam and uh on the opposite side of the street going in the opposite direction is an amazon delivery van brand spanking new mercedes-benz huge van and there's the postal van i mean if you're the postal worker you just want to drive into the in into the amazon van and there's a number of things, you know, you see at the postal buildings that are still open, but they have a back lot full of the blue mailboxes that nobody uses anymore. 
Um, we we've got to be able to find a way to make the postal service make some money, and I've got some ideas for them. I, I truly do. There's a number of things that I think we could do um, across America that would save us money and make us uh, more money in the U.S. Postal Service. And I love the fact that uh, the United States, the motto uh, of the Postal Service really isn't a motto. Okay? There's no official motto. Everybody thinks that that it is. Uh, you know, they all think that uh, neither snow nor rain nor heat nor gloom of night stays these couriers from the swift completion of their appointed rounds. Now, that's chiseled in stone at the Postal Building in New York City, which is a, you know, a really cool building. And I've been in it and I've seen it and I've seen where it's chiseled. And uh, I've I've walked around the building and uh, I've inspected the building when I uh, worked in New York, uh, right there on Eighth Avenue. But uh, it's just a it's just a saying, and it was just a saying because of the firm that designed the New York Post Office, uh, which opened uh, Labor Day, nineteen fourteen. One of the firm's architects was the son of a classic scholar and read Greek. And he selected the neither snow nor rain inscription, which he modified, because it was uh, from a, a a Greek saying, which was during the wars between the Greeks and the Persians in 500 to 449 B.C., the Persians operated a system of mounted postal couriers who served with great fidelity. That is amazing. And then in the Washington, D.C. postal building, uh, which is now home of the Smithsonian's National Postal Museum, uh, there is uh, inscripted is, uh, it's, it's called The Letter, a messenger of sympathy and love, servant of parted friends, consoler of the lonely, bond of the scattered family, enlarger of the common life, carrier of news and knowledge, instrument of trade and industry, promoter of mutual acquaintance, of peace and of goodwill among men and nations. Wow. Now this was called, the inscription is called The Letter. Uh, and it was written by Dr. Charles W. Elliott, former president of Harvard University. President Woodrow Wilson, President Woodrow Wilson changed the text slightly before the inscription was carved in white granite at the post office. It doesn't say here what he changed. Uh, I'd be interesting to, to know what uh, Woodrow Wilson changed. I can't seem to find exactly what he changed everybody talks about him changing it but i can't seem to find uh exactly what he changed so i will look into it though but it doesn't look like that. i don't think they know they know that he changed it because they sent it to him he might not have changed it they might have sent it to woodrow and he went yeah i changed it here you go do use that but 
I do find it interesting in the one story talking about <laughs> the Woodrow Wilson change. Um, okay, so we know that the Smithsonian's National Postal Museum is the original D.C. building. Okay. But um, the post office that was the post office until um, that was built in 1914. Then there's a picture of a, in this story, there's a picture of a post office that was uh, in D.C. until 1986. But uh, that uh, post office is uh, on Pennsylvania Avenue is now leased by the Trump Hotel. <laughs> you can't even read anything about the Postal Service without Trump being involved. So they really don't have a motto. And they, uh, you know, I love them. And, and look, the Postal Service is still a viable option. We still get mail. We still need things shipped. No question, right? But my point was is that I always wanted to be Postmaster General. But you just heard that they appointed the governors, right? So I, I started thinking about, oh, wait a minute. They appointed the governors, So the Board of Governors was established by the Postal Reorganization Act of 1970. Now, the board includes nine governors who are appointed by the president with the advice and consent of the Senate. The nine governors then select the Postmaster General, who becomes a member of the board, And those 10 select a deputy postmaster general who serves on the board. Now, the postmaster general serves at the pleasure of the governors for an indefinite term. The deputy postmaster general serves at the pleasure of the governors and the postmaster general. So if the deputy screws up, the postmaster general goes to the governors and say he's out. He's the one. Even I mean, if even if the postmaster general actually screwed up, it's going to be the deputy that takes the hit, right? And there's no question about that. Now I love how you become a postmaster. All right. Now you'd think that to become a postmaster, what what would you need to do to become a postmaster? Um, let's see. What would you need to do to become a postmaster? Um. Deliver the mail to the correct address in a timely fashion. But you have uh, step one is you need to meet educational requirements. Uh, You must have a high school diploma or equivalent. College degree isn't required. Duh. And um, you... uh, those without post-secondary education can gain skills through on-the-job dra- training programs. Yeah, like, this is how you deliver the mail. Step two, work experience. Look, I can deliver the mail properly. Look, I can put it in the right slot. Look, I can put it in the right basket to go to the right mail carrier. Step three. On your way to becoming postmaster general, or a, I should say, you'd be on your way to becoming a postmaster. You complete advanced postal service training. 
is that that when you know how to deliver the mail, you know how to sort the mail, and you're greeting customers at the front desk at the post office saying, hi, welcome to the post office. How may I help you today? I don't know. Help me mail my package. That's how you have advanced postal service training. Make sure that if you're working in the front lobby, you make sure that there's extra envelopes. If you're working... If you're working at the front desk, you make sure that the P.O. boxes are dusted off. If you're out back, you make sure that the mail gets sorted. Now, I know that there's going to be a, a postal service worker. Worker, listen to this and say, it's a lot harder than that, Jeff. Is it? Is it? Now, a hundred years ago, I remember the mailman used to deliver mail in my neighborhood in Saginaw, Michigan, and he used to push this leather mail cart, and it was like a satchel, big satchel bag over the middle, and it would deliver the mail, and he would push it up, and they would deliver, you know, the mailbox, uh, you know, was up on the porch. In fact, that mailman used to be the neighborhood business man, because... There were times when he would stop and my mom would be playing the piano in the house and he would stop and sing with her and sit with her and play the piano. And I have, oh, I can't tell that story. I have another post. Just know that I actually have another post office postal worker story that at some point I'll be able to tell you, but I don't think I can tell you now. There might be some. Might be some repercussions from some family. So, the Board of Governors is where you need to be. Okay? I mean, that's the job. You don't want to be the Postmaster General. You want to be one of the governors. The governors are chosen to represent the public interest and cannot be representatives of special interests. Right. But, you can take the post office by the helm then, right? I mean, look, the entire board determines dates on which new rates and classification adjustments become effective. They exercise the powers of the Postal Service, directs and controls its expenditures, reviews its practices, conducts long-range planning. I'm telling you this is where I need to be. The chairman and the vice chairman organize and conduct the meetings. Uh, the governors, they have a full-time secretary, the secretary is generally, not always, but generally responsible for coordinating the resources of the Postal Service. Really? Uh, just make sure that I have a meeting at 2 o'clock tomorrow. The Board of Governors meets on a regular basis, usually in Washington, D.C., but, you know, they don't have to meet in D.C. They can, uh, they can meet around the country. Where, you know, they might meet in a city where the members can see firsthand a postal service large mailer's operation. Ooh. So, you know, if your post office is nice and clean and the sidewalks are swept and the employees have their shirts tucked in, Board of Governors are in town. They might stop by. Now, get this is why you need to be a governor. All right. Originally, governors of the postal service were appointed for terms of Nine years. Nine years you get appointed. Now, in 1970, when the board was established, the first nine appointments were staggered terms of one to nine years. Subsequent appointments were made for a full nine years 
or when vacancies occurred. For the remainder of the unexpired terms, the Postal Accountability and Enhancement Act of 2006 changed the terms of the governors from nine years to seven years. However, each governor's term expires on December 8th of a given year. They can be removed for any cause, but they're in. If they don't be removed to seven years, yeah, you got another seven. I'm going to re-up. That is outstanding. Now, there's, there's what? There's nine. Not more than five of the nine may belong to the same political party. I mean, who cares what political party they are? They should not be political on this. You're running a post office, for gosh sakes. It's not political, darn it. I want to be a board of governor now. I want to be on the board of governors for the postal service. I want to be a postal service board of governor. And if you're that, there's no way they could make you not have a badge. You get a badge for that. You get you get a governor badge for that. Hundred <laughs> percent, you get a governor badge for that. All right. Earlier this week, I had an opportunity to talk to uh, Merrill Hodge and Dr. Peter Cummings uh, about uh, their latest book called Brainwashed, uh, the bad science behind CTE and the plot to destroy football. And it, uh, the book truly is fascinating. Merrill and Dr. Cummings were just as fascinating. Happy to have Merrill Hodge and Dr. Cummings, uh, authors of Brainwashed, in studio. Uh, I'm glad that uh, you were able to, you know, squeeze me into your schedule. I know you <laughs> talked to Pat today. You talked to Glenn today. Fascinating stuff that I heard you talk about. One of the things that I find uh, most fascinating is that we people are just bombarded with 24-hour information, uh, whether it be news or st- whatever stories, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, I'm a part of that. But so... So much of that information, it isn't fake. It just isn't the whole story. Correct. And so when we hear about uh, people with uh, brain disorders, CTE, caused by football, and look, I'm you know my son played Division One and played in the NFL, and I I was all for it. Um, and you know there were times when you know everybody has had their bell rung, and when we were right. kids jumping off of. Uh, playing evil Knievel, jumping our bikes and smashing our heads into the gravel and doing <laughs> all no kinds of stupid on. stuff. We all did that. Yeah. So now, do we all have to worry that we're going to uh, suffer from whatever CTE is supposed to cause? Well, you know, that's, that's, that's a loaded setup there. <laughs> um, what I think, you know, to kind of help people when you talk about, you know, all the info, information that can influence, influence us, with this particular subject, I think the thing that could help people identify the uh, uh, legitimacy to 
the information they're getting okay. is wording. Words are important and they're significant in As this always. particular this particular subject. If in the media you see linked or caused, you got to right now look at that particular article or that information with a massive amount of skepticism for this reason. There is n- those words linked or caused. None of those words are in the scientific literature, meaning concussions or this subconcussive theory that is not even scientific yet. Okay, there is no um, concussions or subconcussions cause CTE. There is no scientific ev- evidence of that or linked. No scientific evidence that what you will the not heck find are that. We doing that. You won't find that in the literature. And so when people go, "Oh, you're denying CTE," no, we're not. We've, we we explain it in the book right off the bat what it is and what neuropathologists. Like to my right, one of the great minds and why he became so important in this book is everybody's telling you that study brains and cut brains and our neuropathologists. And that's important. People that are trained to do it versus somebody who wrote a paper on it. They are not doctors. Right. Okay. And they need to we need to use much of our action is being taken because of people who are not doctors. You're exactly (laughs) right. But they say it's a pattern. We don't know what causes it and we don't know what it causes. We have cases where they played football. Yes had concussions, yes. And we also have a bunch of cases they never played football. They never had a history. And we hear about those always. Like always never. Only the ones in football. (laughs) Only the ones. And so people think it is only football or sports related. And it's it's not even, there's so many cases where football and athletic events and um, sports are not even part of the the lifestyle or the environment that that person has the pattern of CTE from. And that became disturbing that all this literature, the science is screaming, wait a minute, we don't know anything. Why are you printing things like that? Why are you saying things like that? And that's what became most disturbing because there's a lot of people who wrote the papers that say, caution, you can't use this to give any sense of degree. And they're in the media saying, oh, I got to believe every yeah, player, believe it. football right. player has this. Right. When you well, wrote it in science, I mean, it's, it's interesting of what coming you just from said you in the since media. I know that, uh, you know, your history uh, with uh, concussions and seeing stars and being uh, knocked out. In fact, it caused you to leave the, the game. game of my career. Uh, you know, the NFL, the, the game that, that uh, you know, so many people loved as you love to play. And because of that, uh, you can't play it anymore. But uh, it's, it's more interesting coming from you since, uh, you know, you have a belief that it really did well, cause it, right? Well, here's, here, well here's, the, here's the difference. What happened to me was improper care, Okay. So protocols, treatments, and therapies are one subject, okay? Let's keep them where they need to be, okay? okay? We are superior to where we were in 1994 with my career. No question. Okay? In protocols, how we handle head trauma, removing it. Can we get better there? And is there some rural areas and other areas that aren't up to speed and taking action with the protocols we need? Absolutely. And we need so you don't just take a salt pill now and you're okay? You don't take that. We <laughs> remove them. But then the treatments and therapies that parents need to be aware of that are available if their kids do have an accident, playing evil can evil sure. in the backyard, sure. um, jump trampoline, um, slipping in the shower like happened to my son the first time he ever got a concussion. It doesn't just happen in a sporting event. But if we know how to care for it, the treatments to help repair kids and um, adults to get them back to normalcy before they return to play. Those are the great scientific things that we have evidence of and that people don't know that much. That well, people I mean, don't that, know that, exists. That actually, um, I mean, that actually started uh, in the NFL and with some of uh, some of the uh, 
programs that you're dealing with now, right? I mean, I, I know that uh, uh, you with the Steelers and uh, Chuck Knoll was one of the leading uh, cutting edge men in this, well, in this program. He's the one actually that inspired Dr. Maroon and Dr. Lovell to come up with objective and subjective information evaluations for players. So that's what 1991, think about that. Right. That's what that started in 1991. But really this book, though, is for families of youth people from okay. 8 to 18. You know, the NFL obviously is part of my history, so I, I use that in here is explaining I've experienced everything there is to know, not just from a player's perspective, but a parent perspective with my son, and help people with all the information to get them up to speed on what are the true honest facts of the science, all the great exciting things about sports. So if your kids want to play contact sports, you have all the information to help you make a choice for your family. So, Dr. Cummings, uh, you as a board-certified forensic neuropathologist. I mean, Sounds okay, impressive. It does sound impressive. It does sound impressive. It's like two brains and a fat guy here on the, yeah. on the podcast. Um, so what are, some of the, what are some of the things that you, know, you found most impressive uh, once you started looking into this? Sure. You know, I think that Merrill's touched on this. And the reason why we wrote this book is two dads. And we had a lot of the same questions that most yeah. parents in this country are having. Because uh, I banned football in my house. I didn't want my son to be exposed to it. And I loved football growing up. I just didn't watch it on Sundays anymore. Wow. I, I put him into soccer like you were talking yeah, about. Yeah, we talked earlier about that's my plan and, um, with my with my oldest son was to, uh, you can play football later, but soccer yeah, now. Soccer. And, but he, you know, he didn't like it. And, but it was a sport. And, and, you know, he came home from a friend's house after playing some video games. And, and they played, I think it was Madden or something like this. And he comes home and he says, Dad, have you ever heard of this thing called football? <laughs> and, you know, he, it, it became like a thing. So I, I had to sit down and, and go through all of the literature. And it, admittedly, I was educated by the, the things I read in the news and heard on sure. the news as much as any other parent. And I speak brain, right? So right. I fell for that. And I was a afraid parent. But when I started to look at the science, I found things like Merrill was talking about that, you know, there there's no scientific evidence that suggests that a concussion or multiple concussions or even the severity of concussions are going to give you CTE. There's no evidence to suggest that NFL football players wow. have uh, higher rates of suicide. In fact, they have a, a significantly lower fraction of the rate of suicide and homicide and arrest rates of the general population. So I'm like, what? Wow. what is going on here? And then I turned to football and I talked to people at USA Football, Pop Warner. I said, well, even if there is a risk, let's just say the science isn't there. Right. It's not good to hit your head. Sure, what course. are you guys we, doing? We about all it? know that yeah. it's not good to hit our heads. Not good. But, you know, they, 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 we're resilient. You know, we're designed to be resilient. So sure. there's, it's not good to hit your head, but we, we, can, we can do okay. And with football, I was amazed at how, how far the game had come since I played in the 70s and 80s. You know, it was a completely different sport yeah. rule-wise, yeah. contact-wise. And I got really proactive. I decided I took all the coaching certification courses. I started coaching flag. I coached flag. I coached tackle. I coach something called flex football, which is based out of here in Dallas. That yeah. it's a hybrid of tackle and, and flag, where they wear soft shell equipment and pull flags. We get to work on blocking and and tackling techniques. Right. Um, so I went full in, and being being that proactive and taking part in it gave me a lot of comfort because the fear that a lot of parents are feeling about their children, particularly playing football, yeah. is because they don't know, and it's not easy to find information other than what you're getting on a you know a feed off your phone that's popping up on a headline. It's almost as if they're trying to uh, get rid of the game of football. Well, they've targeted it, and it makes 
I'll, I'm going to explain that in a sec in a second. But one thing I want to add here: if somebody's listening to this, and they might say, "Well, what about post concussion syndrome syndrome or symptoms that you have?" Sure. Okay, that that is a completely different thing. That's not CTE. It is something that could happen if you don't if you're not properly cared for if you're still having symptoms. But there are treatments for those things. Right. I mean, that's what we talked about a little bit earlier right. is that we've come so far in the treatments and the process to go through right. once you experience some sort of head trauma. So there's ways to get. And that's what the book we give you, resources. Brainwashedbook.com also is the science papers are there for people to read because we want right. people to educate themselves. It isn't our science papers versus their science papers. It's the science papers everybody's using. Okay? <laughs> and when you read them, you won't see the word caused and linked in there. So you can educate yourself, but there is resources to help people that might be going, you know, or having post-concussion syndromes right. from an accident of whatever magnitude it came from. Just and that's so an people important know. distinction because one of the things we really need to do with this dialogue, we're trying to attempt to have a dialogue around this issue, is separating the, the concepts of CTE and concussion because they're separate. And when people say to me, are you worried oh, right. about your son playing football? I'm worried about what? The risk. Risk of what? The risk of him getting CTE? Absolutely not. He is not going to get CTE from playing football. Sure of that. Is he going to get a concussion? Maybe. Possible. He's in a he's in a, a environment that I think is very safe with the proper adult supervision. But he could go to the playground. He could ride his bike. Absolutely. Am I worried about him getting concussion in life? Sure. But I'm just as worried about his ACL. What am I going to do when it happens? I, I was. You know, my my oldest right? son was on his way uh, yeah. to a promising NFL career, and you know, it was the knees, was knees. and not the brain yeah. Yeah. that ruined it. So, I mean, there's a lot to worry about there as well. Right. Um, so, brainwash.com. The the book is fascinating, and I, I'm 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 always amazed when. Uh, uh, it's so important that we get the truth out, right? Uh, because we are so bombarded with information that is, you know, like I said, it's not wrong. It's just not all the information. Right. So, as we as you progress through today here at Mercury Studios today, what's the what's the one thing that nobody asked you that you when you walk out of here you go, I wish should have talked about that. What, what what did you want to mention and get out there for people to know? Well, um, we may have. Aside from that BYU football game yeah, this BYU. past weekend, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we can talk about that later. Let's, anyway, yeah, but. We, won't, we won't talk Cougar football right now. We'll let it go. Let's just let it go. I think one of the things I think is really missing from this, and, and I, I want this to be asked a lot, is, well, how did football change? Because there was a recent University of Massachusetts Lowell poll that showed 60% of parents who were polled don't know what youth football, particularly Pop Warner, is doing to promote safety. Wow. So 60% of parents don't know, then we have a lot of opportunity to fear, for fear to develop and guide no kidding. decisions. So you have to go um, and do, do a little bit of work to find out what the rules are. But how we limit contact, 25% of practice time can be contact. And we have different ways that we measure contact. We have, we have uh, no contact, which is drills against air. We have uh, drills against bags. We have drills that are until the moment of contact, and it stops. We have drills through contact, where we nobody goes to ground, but you will learn, you will do the blocking technique right. or break the block technique or the tackling technique. And then we have drills to ground, where we simulate game situations. And so they're all graded on level of contact. And uh, we're only allowed to have so much contact during the week. I'll tell you, there's so little contact in my practice. These are, you know, seventh and, sixth and seventh graders. And we're, we're struggling just trying to get them to learn the plays. Right. That's what we spend all our time right. on. And the contact, 
you know, happens so few and far between what we do because we're just trying to learn learn the offense. You know, I guess uh, if there's one thing that you'd like people to do is, and we're not, I'm not trying, this book is not to change people's minds. It's to open up their minds because oftentimes people will make a judgment or evaluation of the book and never read the book. So I'm like, right. at least just read the book. And you don't have to let your kids be involved in sports or contact sports or even football. I'm not telling you or saying you should change your mind. But wouldn't it be nice if you can't, if you, can, if you can't answer this, if you can't say this, yes to this, if you can't say, yes, I've read the science papers, I know what the science says, and you've informed yourself of where we are with safety in all of sports, if you can't say you've done all of those things, say yes to them, then you're uninformed. And then you're making decisions based on fear, or you're making decisions based on headlines that aren't right. true. So don't you do – don't – you owe it to yourself and especially your and kids your if you're going to rob them of an opportunity, especially if they're passionate about being involved in sports. And you're going to rob them of an opportunity when there's no scientific evidence to back what you see in the headline. So that's why brainwashbook.com has all the science papers. Read them. This book, we put them all together to help you, plus all the information that you need to know if they're going to play sports or get involved in sports right. to help guide you. And if they just happen to have an accident on a bike or a roller coaster, I mean, or uh, they go to ride roller coasters, Whatever they it is. jump yeah. off, or they fall off a trampoline, they're in the backyard and they have an accident, their right. bike or wheeled sport, you can actually know what to do for them. So wouldn't it be better to know what we can do for our kids and how we care for our kids than to be scared to death? Standing over them wondering what yeah. to do. You can say we can be active, proactive, we can take care of them, address it, get them heat treatment and help, get them repaired and back to normal. Amen. Uh, Merrill Hodge and uh, Dr. Peter Cummings, thank you so much. Brainwashed.com. We appreciate it, brother. Right? Yeah, it's brainwashedbook.com. Brainwashedbook.com. Now, let's uh, move on to Cougar football. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Cougars. Yeah, we can wrap it up. That's fine. Right. <laughs>